This is Block Club Chicago's It's All Good Podcast. I'm John Hanson, and let's get to episode 14. I just wanted my ring. I, I didn't even care about anything else. I just wanted my championship ring. It was my most prized possession. It was the biggest accomplishment I had to earn that ring with the rest of them. I earned it, and I wanted it. He come back and he said, Grandpa, he said, look, look, look. And I said, what, what is it? At first I thought it was rock, and then I, I cleaned the dirt and stuff off of it. But it was a ring, and I said, well, nobody here has lost it. Sometimes you hear a story that seems too good to be true, or too impossible to be true. A script from a movie, perhaps. But this story is 27 years long. It covers nearly 2,700 miles and is about way more than a lost ring. It starts with Avante Stewart. He's in his 40s now, a native of Chicago's South Shore. He grew up in a middle-class family and decided to go to college at Howard U. Well, it's Hampton, John. You're going to start a gang fight. You know, Hampton and Howard, we got this real HU battle that's still going on generations later. Hampton, yes. Maxwell Evans wrote this story for Block Club Chicago. He clearly wrote Hampton in the sixth graph. But their school colors and mascot will play a key part in this story a bit later on. So I got there, you know, went immediately once I hit campus to figure out where was the football team, where were practices. So I was able to kind of squeak my way in the first year, but you know, I wasn't getting paid much attention to. I was five foot seven. I got down there probably 120, 125 pounds, probably anything other than a football player to them. I was probably the mascot, but I just worked, man. I was first one at practice and I was the last one to leave. And I work out another hour or two after everybody's gone. So by that second year, I got up to 140 and it was solid muscle mass and I gotten bigger and faster. And that second year, I was ready. That 1994 season, I started working my way up. I started getting some time in the games. I wasn't a starter. It, it was really an honor to be a part of that program. 1994, we became the Sheridan Black National Champ. So we were 10 and one that year, we were dominating, we were blowing people out 50 to five and stuff like that were the scores. And with the national championship, there's a lot of attention, there's commemorative jackets and hats and a ring. Custom rings with our name, our number, our record for the year. And it's got a big HU in the middle and national champs all around it. It meant everything, John, this is my most prized possession. So at that time in life, I'm like 18. Man, there was nothing bigger. But while Levante's athletic career at Hampton was on the up and up, his grades had fallen far behind. It came to a head in the spring of his sophomore year. Coach comes up and he says, son, something's wrong. And I, what's wrong, coach? I'm not working hard enough. No, you're failing, boy. So I'm thinking, you know, he's like, I'm like, okay, I can fix it, coach. No, you can't. Turn in all your stuff. So that was like the worst feeling in my life, man. I came home to Chicago. I probably cried that whole trip home. And he says he had to figure out a way, anyway, to get back onto the football field. Wasn't easy. It wasn't quick. Levante, still wearing his Hampton ring, moved with his family to Oklahoma after his dad had been relocated for work. He went to a community college nearby for a bit. He got the grades up and then got accepted on a baseball and football scholarship to play in Marshall, Missouri. It's a town of about 10,000 people. It's between Columbia and Kansas City at Missouri Valley College. Small town Missouri. I had no frame of reference for the state of Missouri at that time, so I didn't understand why my mother maybe felt the way she felt. Levante's mom had wanted him to go to a different school in Virginia where her brother lived. Whatever it was, it was the mother's intuition, and she didn't want me to go. And 
I went. And things were going fine at first. Levante says he focused on classes. He played well in football. But then he moved off campus. Into these little row houses they had that was like equivalent to their uh, low-income housing. So back then I called it the little projects. And so it was a place I was most comfortable. I'm like, wow, this is your projects? This looks more like uh, some nice stuff where I'm from. I was riding around this 75 Cadillac Coupe I bought uh, when I was in Oklahoma, working at the dry cleaner, saved up my money when he got my rims and put my sounds in the trunk. Hey, I'm a teenager, man, you know? So yeah, I'm you know riding around, loud music, flashy rims. I'm you know, kind of being a little flashy for a young guy. And he says, yeah, he knew he stood out a bit. A young, black, 19, 20-year-old from Chicago in small-town Missouri. Levante says he wasn't naive to, well, this is putting it mildly, complex race relations. But our story is about to take an unfortunate and yet all-too-familiar turn. And just a heads up, Levante doesn't censor any of the language in the story you're about to hear. One day a friend comes by, a young lady. She's all upset. She explains that, you know, some of the local boys were really messing with her, chasing her like in this pickup truck and, you know, calling her niggers and all this other stuff. And so I called myself being the bigger guy and I said, okay, we'll go, you know, over here and we'll talk to him best case. Worst case, we're going to kick some butt. So we go over, but when we got there, father and the mother were already coming down the driveway. And I had, you know, a bunch of other kids following me in some other cars that were the local kids that hung out with me and at my house. And so as I'm walking up and the boys are like behind the dad. And before I could say anything, you know, excuse me, sir, I want to. And before I could get it all out, he, he points this, looks like a 380 or something, a 38 maybe. He points this at me and tells me to get my nigger ass off his property. Wow. And so the Chicago in me like really came out and it's like, hey, where I'm from, you don't pull out guns unless you plan on using. I was pretty pissed off. I went back to my little apartment and uh, I had a rifle I had legally bought from Walmart and it had a scope on it, right? I rode back over there. No one is outside, not a soul. So I ended up just shooting off about six shots or so in the air. You know, I just kind of pointed the rifle out the window and I just wanted them to hear the noise. I don't know what I was thinking, right? Just trying to give them a little scare. And I um, didn't think much of it. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay, it's, it's, that's it. We're done. But as you can probably guess, that wasn't the end of it. According to Levante, word got around town. It got to the sheriff who then wanted to arrest him. So I'm, I'm counseling with my grandmother back in Chicago on the phone. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to get a ticket and come home. And then I'll have my cousins come back down here and get my property and my cars and stuff. And my grandmother talked me into it. She said, no, go ahead and face it. Don't run because you're going to get back here and then you're just going to have warrants and other stuff. It should be OK. So I listened to my grandmother's advice and I eventually called the sheriff's department and said, hey, I know you guys are looking for me. So I'm just going to come and turn myself in. And then we can sit down and talk about this. I thought I was going to go to the county jail, talk to the sheriffs, kind of get a misunderstanding cleared up. Maybe I might get a misdemeanor charge for shooting those shots off in the air or something like that. And I walked in there and I never walked out. Levante says that officials wanted to charge him with attempted murder on every individual who was inside of the house at the time. He remembers them threatening him with 60 or more years in jail. Yeah, they like tried to make me out to be this notorious gangbanging drive-by shooter from Chicago. 
And I think they just wanted to make an example out of him. His family hired a lawyer. He couldn't make bond. He bounced around from different jail to different jail, awaiting a trial. Eventually, he was convinced he wasn't going to get a fair one. I had braids in my head at the time, you know, long hair, long braids. So I looked the part. Uh, so it would have been easy to slam me. There would not have been a jury of my peers. No one on that jury would have looked like me. So he pled guilty to lesser but still felony charges. So the final deal they offered me was a total of 10 years. So it was seven years on the second degree assault and then three years for armed criminal action. And I didn't shoot anybody. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't damage any property. I didn't do anything. They, you know, they couldn't pull a bullet out the house. So Levante goes to prison and as for his prized possession, the 1994 Hampton University National Championship ring. So I was pretty open with my little friends, you know, and trusting. So they had access to my home. And the whole time I was gone, they were basically pillaging it. Of course, that was one of the things I'm like asking people about. I'm like, yo, where's my ring? Where's my where's my football ring? Such and such, I heard such and such took. I immediately started reaching back down there, like trying to figure out where these people were and trying to figure out where my ring was out of everything. I just wanted my ring. I, I didn't even care about anything else. I just wanted my championship ring biggest accomplishment I had. I had worked my tail off to prove myself on that team and to earn that ring with the rest of them. You know, blood, sweat, and tears with the rest of those pirates. Levante spent about five years in prison, and when he got out, he came back to Chicago in 2001. And look, if we're being honest, Levante's story of turning his life around, that's probably worth its own podcast episode. In 2008, as a Little League baseball coach, he and some of the players witnessed an act of violence. Levante was struck at their lack of fear in that situation. They were seemingly desensitized to trauma. So we started Lost Boys, Inc. to give boys, and a few years later, girls, a similar experience that he had playing baseball growing up. We used the power of organized baseball and softball, coupled with other out-of-school time activities around core developmental areas to work with youth, like social-emotional learning, civic engagement, cultural awareness, academic enrichment. So, you know, we've got these touch points where we do things, our programming helps to improve these areas in young people's lives. Why? Because their brains aren't fully developed yet. As that brain is developing, so is character and personality, you know, morals, principles, values. So this is all the stuff, how to emotionally deal with yourself and the world because these are the things that drive the issues that you see on the South side, right? They help kids aged four to 24, most in the South shore community with playing games, being part of a team. They bring in guest speakers. They've got role models. They do some really great work. And Levante talks a lot about just trying to humanize people, especially people that we never meet and we just hear about on the news. So it's hard maybe for somebody that's not from where I'm from to see the humanity in the specifically young black men who are out here committing heinous crimes that you hear about on the news. You think that, you know, this guy that just shot a, and killed a two year old is a monster. Maybe this kid really wasn't a monster. This kid has a two year old in his family that loves him, you know, and he loves and He's a normal kid that sits at the dinner table with his mother and his siblings and goes through all these other things. But then it's this environment of the South Side that this kid may be caught in where gang culture, you know, ensnares people. And there's, you know, a lot, a lot of escapism to get away from that stuff. So in the winter, it's obviously tough to find kids baseball diamonds to play on in Chicago. So they do a lot of programming. And this past year, they began using resources from the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City to teach kids about the role black 
black players have had on the game and beyond. And after conversations with the staff at the museum, Levante's mind started racing, and eventually he came up with the plan that in the summer... We're going to take 100 people down to Kansas City and visit the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And so everybody looking at me crazy, like, you know how much money that's going to cost? I said, yeah, I don't know, but we'll raise it. And they did. Block Club reporters Maxwell Evans and Jamie Nesbitt-Golden reporting that Chicagoans raised $35,000 to help send all these kids to travel over 500 miles to Kansas City in July for four days of learning, fun, and baseball. The only problem, Kansas City, of course, is in Missouri. And you got to drive east to west straight across the state and pass just miles from Marshall. Levante's past and through a state he wasn't eager to return to. Never, ever, ever, because I promised myself I'd never step another foot in that state. I thought I'd never be back in this place again. Ever, ever, ever. But with the money raised, Levante knew he'd brave going through Missouri for the Lost Boys. The trip was set for July 24th. The buses rented, a lot of the bags packed up, a long weekend ahead teaching kids about the Negro Leagues and their contribution to baseball. And just days before they left, of all the places on earth, a grandfather and his grandson were walking on a baseball field in Marshall, Missouri. Well, we was at the ballpark. We just went out there. Uh, I said, well, let's stop and see who's playing. He wanted to go to the swimming pool, and I told him, no, you cannot go to the swimming pool. And then about that time, somebody hit the, a foul ball between a left field in the swimming pool. He come back and he said, Grandpa, he said, look, 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 look. And I said, what, what is it? At first I thought it was rock, but it was a rain. And I said, and it was kind of dirty. And I said, well, nobody here lost it. That's Howard Butner. He lives in Marshall, Missouri. At one point he had coached baseball and basketball. In fact, he actually spent some time coaching at Missouri Valley College where Levante had transferred. He thought the ring with its blue gem and Pirates logo belonged to a student from Boonville High School about 30 miles away. One of his co-workers happened to have played football there. His name is Blake Oswald. Well, after looking at the ring and it said national champions 1994 and then with a football record of 10 and 1, I knew that it wasn't anybody from Boonville's. The only two championship teams we've had in Boonville was 1974 and 1998. And Howard's like, well, who's is this? So we can try to get it back to him. So because if I won the championship ring and I lost it, always somebody would turn it, you know, would try reach out and try to find out where who it belonged to. We looked up the the HU that was on the middle of the gym, and it came to a Hampton University out of Virginia. And so Howard and I were sitting at the computer for a while, and we came across this program that Hampton University comes out that what appeared to be all the football athletes that were part of their program. And so we just looked up Stewart, and Levante was the only name that came back up that came up in 1994. I held on to the ring until he found out who it was. Blake contacted me and he said, could you send me a picture of the ring? So I slipped it on my finger and I took snapshots of it. So I went to Facebook immediately. Uh, not really much action on Facebook, but when I Googled his name, it brought me back to the Lost Boys organization that he runs. And so I looked at Howard and I said, you know what? I'm just going to message him. It's a shot in the dark. Thursday, July 22nd, 9.43 a.m. Mr. Stewart, good morning. My name is Blake Oswald, and I think a co-worker of mine who lives in Marshall, Missouri, may have come across a ring that belongs to you. It is a championship ring, and I believe it belongs to you by the last name that was on it. And just basically just asked him to 
describe the ring if he could off of memory. I didn't want to give too much information out about the ring if, in fact, it wasn't his. And I responded immediately. Good morning, Mr. Oswald. I am floored and in tears right now, which I literally was. That is my ring from Hampton University, my most prized possession. I lost my ring in 1996, or better yet, it was stolen by friends. I've thought about that ring every day of my life. I was 18 or 19 then. I'm now 45. I would very much like to retrieve it and thank you, your coworker and his grandson. I'm actually coming to KC Saturday with a group of 100 people from the not-for-profit I run in Chicago. Please feel free to call me and thank you so much. God is so good. Over 25 years later, and it appears in a park. I've dedicated my life to work with kids through baseball, so the parks are my church. How ironic. It couldn't have worked out any better, to be honest with you. He he needed the ring. Um, it, was just the, it was just the right time for him. It was the right time for everything that happened for it. So as the Lost Boys trekked across Missouri, Levante stopped in Marshall to meet Blake and be reunited with the ring that had been missing for 25 years. I was nervous, to be honest with you. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, but seeing him, he was so personable and so welcoming that just him, his presence alone, it just, I mean, he's a great guy, a great story. It was a fantastic meeting. Man, Blake was amazing. He was awesome. Uh, all kind of memories were flooding me as soon as we got back into the outskirts of that town. I had so many different dang on emotions going through me at once. I, I don't even know how to describe them all. I've always said in my mind, in my heart, in my head that I wanted to return there because I kept saying it. Even when I was in prison, I'm like, y'all messed up. I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be somebody important. And I'm going to come back and show y'all. I'm going to come back and show this time. The friends, the enemies, the judge that wanted to slam me, everybody, right? And it's going to be like, look at who the F I became in spite of what you did to me. The one message is, you know, we're all good people. It's just, you know, one bad judgment or decision doesn't dictate who you are. And you know, one good choice can reach so many people. He could have just tossed it in a box and said, yeah, nah, it ain't ours. I don't know whose it is. And he could have never looked me up, never done anything about it. And it could be sitting in another box for the next 25 years. But he wanted to do the right thing for the right reason, the right way. I'm glad that we was able to find it and return it back to him because that was a blessing within itself. I think his prayers were answered. I think the way that it was found was God's way of saying that he was listening. Levante thinks so, too. He's a very spiritual guy. He considers this whole thing a miracle. And after the Lost Boys came home, all the emotions from the past week came out. First thing I did, I got in that parking lot, and, man, I just got out. It was some hip-hop music, but, man, I was out in this parking lot praise dancing in front of my staff, in front of whoever was looking, because I didn't care, because in the Bible, that's what King David did. Every time God gave him a victory, he danced in the streets, you know, so much so. One time they say he even danced naked. He didn't even care. I wasn't going to get naked, but metaphorically, I was naked. So was it really a miracle? Fate? Karma? Luck? Coincidences? I don't know. I just can't get over the fact this ring is missing for a quarter of a century. And it turns up on a baseball field. And its owner is 480 miles away, but about to pass through town to take a bunch of kids to a baseball museum. Now, did the ring still fit? It fits like a like a charm. I haven't taken it off yet, and now I put it I put it on the middle finger. So if somebody pisses me off, they'll get the championship bird. (laughs) 
Maxwell Evans was the reporter who wrote the story for Block Club Chicago. You can find his work and all the other great work of the reporters at blockclubchicago.org. Please subscribe to our newsletters. Big thanks to Levante Stewart and good luck to him and the rest of the Lost Boys, Inc. Huge thanks to Howard Butner and Blake Oswald for hopping on the line from Missouri. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm John Hanson, and have a great rest of your week. 